0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to an unspecified episode of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. I'm your host, Jason, Good Putty Tat Venable. And it's a flashback episode and this one is going to focus on the move of Sabretooth coming to the X-Mansion. So Among Us, a Sabretooth will be the first issue we cover. I think that's an appropriate title uh, for the subject matter. It's really, yeah, we're just going to look at Sabretooth following his miniseries, right? At the end of that, we knew he was going to look for uh, a telepathic help. To replace his assistant, Bernie, who was murdered by his son, Grandin Crean. And, um, you know, for good measure, we'll also throw in a little bit of Gambit's gumbo for Grant. Because every episode needs a little spice. A little spice in the jambalaya, as a Gambit likes to say. So we'll, we'll do a little bit of that as well. Um, and yeah, all this is kind of, kind of in between uh, Wolverine losing his claws and where he shows up again in his own book, Without the clause. And one thing I've noticed reading these issues of... of X titles following Fatal Attractions... A, I, I always like it when... characters go through transition... and they actually disappear. I don't... I mean... I love reading my favorite characters. I don't mind when some of them are a little more ubiquitous... as far as guest spots and stuff. But it's also kind of cool. and something you don't see much in modern times. Um, you know, if something happens to a person... and they go do something they they have a leave of absence from some of the other books that they're regularly in so our, our x titles at least here for a few months are kind of completely devoid of wolverine but one thing i've noticed about that and kind of why i bring this up is that there's they still talk about him <laughs> a lot like the writers are not letting you forget that wolverine is part of the x family and uh you know you kind of know that he's still lurking around. He's still he's still in their minds, uh, so it won't be too long before he shows up. Which I think was, you know, somewhat organic, right? Because most of it is is the team missing Wolverine, wondering how he's doing. Which I think is supernatural, right? Uh, not supernatural like spiritual, but su- it's very natural. <laughs> you know, when you you miss someone, and you kind of you know hoping they're doing okay, and you talk about them, and you think about them, and Discuss them amongst yourselves. And I think that's really organic and just a really nice kind of plot thread. Uh, I think the other thing, you know, from a writer's standpoint, or at least editorially, is, you know, making sure the reader knows that Wolverine may not be here for a few months, but he's not forgotten, you know, at a time where he was probably the most popular X Men character here in the early to mid 90s. Um, you know, Gambit, Archangel, Psylocke even Cyclops kind of was back you know Cyclops popularity I think goes up and down (laughs) over the years it kind of has a nice little uh sign no I don't know I forget my uh, algebra and trig and calculus and all that but um it has a roller coaster and this is kind of one of his peaks I think largely in part to the uh, X-Men cartoon so all the cast and characters that are in that show are definitely you know popular right now some Gambit, Rogue uh Anyway, I don't need to go through all that, but yeah, I think there's kind of a double purpose, but I think I'm going to try my best, except for when the comics mention him, to just focus on Sabretooth and not talk as much about Wolverine in this episode, so hopefully that's okay with you listeners, but um, yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. So we're going to start with X-Men Unlimited number three. This has two stories, the main story. Um, is written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Mike McCone, uh, Mark McKenna with an assist by Mick Graw and Steve Monkus do the inks, Joe Rosen does the letters, Dana Mooreshead does the colors, um, our editors are Kelly Corriss, Bob Harris, Bob DeFalco, and then the cover is by Bill Sankiewicz. And I guess we don't get the credits. There's a backup story. Maybe the credits aren't until we get there. No, wait, sorry, I'm wrong. This one does not have a backup story. This one goes all the way through. Uh, The annual, we'll do it in a minute, has the backup story. So, our cover is by Bill Sankiewicz, and it's a stained glass window on a black background with a big blue window. Uh, At the peak of the stained glass is Charles Xavier's dome with a little dove. And we have Bishop, Maverick, and maybe Rogue at the bottom. And then... There's there's shards of glass around him, but it doesn't look like there's any hole in the actual glass panel. But anyway, busting towards the reader is a, a really great Sinkevich Sabertooth. Um, the only thing I don't love is he has a super long claws that we saw in the miniseries, which I'm not a fan of. Um, and I was kind of thinking about it, because I mentioned that a little bit when we did the miniseries for Sabretooth, but... Also, it's kind of weird that it was obviously part of the enhancements that the scientists did, but they don't ever attribute it to that, and they just kind of show up. But um, anyway, uh, I was trying to think, like, what specifically I don't really love about it, because I don't mind that his claws maybe change in size a little bit. We see that in the movies, right, where he, his fingernails kind of come out like a cat's claws, right? Um, they kind of grow a little bit. And I was thinking, because Wolverine... Claws. See, I'm already breaking the promise. It wasn't a promise, uh, so I can't really break it. But I'm already going back. I want to walk back. My not Wolverine talk. Um, but Wolverine. You know, has you know fairly long claws, and different artists take different interpretations. Right. Some of them draw the claws a little bit shorter. Some of them draw them kind of long, and some of them go exaggerated, stylized and draw like really like impossibly long claws that couldn't actually fit in his forearm. They have to like bend at the elbow and go up to his shoulder. <laughs> but all that's fine. I I don't mind when I interpretation uh I like I did that on accident, but I kinda like interpretation. That's that's a nice uh hip way to say that. <laughs> if there's one thing I am. It's definitely hip. <laughs> can't even can't even get that out without laughing. Um but anyway, um so yeah, so Wolverine has the long claws, right? And then Lady Deathstrike, in the Wolverine family, quote unquote, kind of, also has the claws that extend and get really long. Like, again, depending on the artist, they can be even insanely long. But even the more realistic artists usually draw her claws pretty long. Um, and I always, I think, what I what I don't necessarily like about sandwiches is the really long claws. And I've always enjoyed the aspect that he's got to get in close on you. Like, he's a brawler, and he has, he's mean, and he, he's got to get at your throat, get at your chest, and be in close to tear you up, and, you know, and more of a scrapper. And obviously, all that applies to Wolverine as well, right? He is a pretty close proximity fighter, but he has at least the option to sometimes, like, use his claws in a different way. Uh, maybe some strategy around his claws. I kind of like the tooth just kind of throw strategy out the window and just attacks and and having the short claws requires kind of that brutality and that nastiness that we associate with saber tooth so you know that's some that's more i guess reason besides me just saying i don't like them <laughs> um from why i prefer the shorter claws on saber tooth the more the more actually cat like claws um but, anyway, long claws aside, it's a great cover. I mean, it's Cavage. What are you, you going to do? Just drool, I guess. So, this one's pretty beefy. And, not just on what happens and what, what we'll talk about with the character, but the plot is pretty beefy uh, by Fabian. So, let's kind of get into it. Um. Okay, so Sabretooth, unhinged after the death of Bernie, goes on a nasty killing spree. Maverick hunts him down to a church in Barcelona Sabretooth guts Maverick and taunts him that only Wolverine can stop him so again bringing Wolverine into the story in name only here um, in Germany an arms dealer uh, tries to have Bashir from the Deadpool mini to stop Sabretooth who is uh, slicing his way through uh, operatives of a mission gone wrong years ago Basher says, no thanks, but suggests Maverick or Wolverine. The arms dealer says, Clan Yoshida is involved. The ambassador says, uh, Wolverine won't go to Japan after Mariko's death. And I just thought it was a nice touch, right? That that not only is Wolverine kind of avoiding Japan after Mariko's death, but those closest to him, or even those who have known him in the past, kind of know that about them. I, I don't feel like we've had a situation where wolverine and maverick have been around enough recently that wolverine would have told him i don't think they're pen pals or anything but i think i think maverick just knows what's going on you know he's in the underworld and he hears things he knows that mariko died and he just kind of knows wolverine well enough to presume that he's not going to go to japan that was pretty cool um so anyway after rogue and gambit returned from joyriding in a Miata, uh, bishop busts their chops And then Maverick attacks him with gas. He's there for Logan. But uh, Beast and Xavier come out to inform Maverick that he's gone. Uh, They talk about his injuries and how he left. And Maverick's like, oh man, that's why I'm here. Um, So anyway, um, in India, a medicated creed in a suit contacts Bashir for a black market telepath to help him keep calm. I really like when uh, artists clean up Sabretooth. I don't like it all. The, I don't want it to be that way all the time. I like that they have him here where he's medic- like he's taking sedatives to like calm himself down, so he doesn't murder everyone. And he puts on a nice suit and walks in and has a business meeting. It's um, also no legal, illicit business meeting, but you know it's there, right? Um, so that was pretty cool. Um, basher knows one in the employ of Clan Yashida again coming up and Sabretooth is like perfect I'll get help and I'll draw Logan out and fight with him so that's his plan so Maverick has told sorry Bashir has suggested to this this arms dealer that Wolverine won't go to Japan he probably needs to contact Maverick after he turns down the job himself and then Maverick had encountered Sabretooth knows he's in trouble, and needs to stop Sabretooth, and the only place he knows to go is to find Wolverine, but he goes to the X-Mansion, and Wolverine's not there, and then, um, shoot, I lost it, yeah, and then Sabretooth has his own game, where he contacts Basher, or Basher, is probably more right, um, I like saying Basher, <laughs> it's fun, yeah, and, uh, side note, tangent, um, I was in high school, I was in drum line, and my freshman year, our drum captain, who was a senior, was named Adam Basham, and I thought that was the coolest thing ever, that he was a drummer, and his name was Adam Basham, and that was just great, and Adam, if you're listening, uh, shoot me a Facebook or something, uh, probably not, I have no idea what you're up to these days, I haven't talked to you in a long time, but if anyone knows Adam Basham, let her know I'm, I'm, I'm talking about him, <laughs> in a good way, Not his name rocked. Also, um, he, I don't know if he got, I, I doubt he got an early thing. Maybe I'll just probably be high because I was a dumb kid. But, you know, I had listened, I was a Pearl Jam fan and loved uh, 10, but he was, he was the first person to show me uh, the second album, Versus. And, um Yeah uh you play I remember we were driving around the van parking lot and you put go on. I am like, all right, <laughs> yay, yeah, I need to get the new project Jam album. Anyway, uh good good high school memories. Uh anyway, uh Creed has come to Basher um to try to get help finding a telepath that's powerful enough so he doesn't have to rely on medicine. He wants what he keeps referring to as the glow. And that's gonna come up several times in this episode in these stories because that's how the writers like to refer to what's going on with Sabertooth. So, what the glow is, is he gets basically has a telepath take the edge off of him and calm him down, kind of soothe him with like positive energy, and it makes him feel like he's glowing on the inside. Um, and so, that's kind of what we'll mention because that'll come up a lot in the next couple issues. But, um, and Bashir says, I know one, Clan uh, Yashida, and so Sabertooth's idea is, well, he'll go. Get his telepath, and also get a nice grudge match in Wolverine. You know, when the information gets leaked, so he's he's good. Um, so later, uh, Bashir contacts Maverick and the X-Men to tell them that Sabretooth is heading to Japan, where Silver Samurai is waiting. So he's Bashir's kind of playing all the sides here. He's he's he sent Sabretooth to get a telepath from Clan Yoshida. He told Silver Samurai, "Hey, uh, Sabretooth's coming for your telepath. You might want to." Lay a trap and then he also calls maverick and the x-men and says by the way sabertooth's going to japan uh where silver samurai's there it's probably gonna be trouble and, and plus sabertooth has been murdering people so Bashir is probably trying to cover his own ass a little bit but he's definitely pulling all the strings in this story so far so that's what we do so uh maverick and the x-men of course have a moral debate about killing Crean. Uh, whether he's you know so evil that the only way to truly stop him is to die but so they split up gambit rogue and bishop will go to protect the arms dealer in germany while beast and maverick head to the ambush in japan uh the german team finds saber too just a hair too late so he actually went to germany first to get the arms dealer um yeah and so um they go there uh the arms dealer is dead they do fight intensely because Sabretooth is still there, um, and Sabretooth taunts Gambit for being a fraud and a traitor. So here, you know, we've had kind of the whole witness storyline in Uncanny X-Men, where Bishop from the future, you know, accuses Gambit of murdering the X-Men, and everyone's like, "No, he hasn't done that. He's he's a loyal member of the team. We can't." punish him for something that may or may not happen, and plus, you don't know. He was, even in your future, he's a witness, you don't know for sure that he killed the X-Men, you just know he survived, and that he's kind of sketchy. And so, yes, logically, you can maybe make the leap that he kills the X-Men, but you don't know. You don't know. And anyway, um, but now, we're playing into that in the present, and even his past, we've had some things in the Gambit miniseries that kind of pointed him being having some sketchy past and maybe not being as sincere of a hero as he plays off to be with his roguish charm. But now Sambertooth taunts him. And of course, we know if you've been, if you've read all these, you kind of know where that leads, but it's really interesting seeing the seeds planted that Sambertooth knows Gambit in some form or fashion and feels like he's not a good dude. You know, like when Sambertooth fights, you know, like some of the X-Men is obviously like I'm the bad one, you're the good guys, it's fine. But he kinda of feels like, you know, Gambit here has has pulled the wool over the X-Men's eyes and he kinda of taunts Gambit and Rogue with that information, uh, without really going into details. So So we find out about their past together. We found out that Sabretooth knows Gambit, and then he's also spreading the seeds of discord, which is an interesting, you know, kind of dramatic play there in the story. Um, Gambit goes down Um, Sabertooth scratches Rogue sending her into a feral spiral because she cuts through the clothes and hits her skin so she goes kind of Sabertooth nuts anyway Um, and then Sabretooth trades the lives of Gambit and Rogue to Bishop for his own escape and he does Bishop of course concedes doesn't want to lose his X-Men. Even Gambit, who he's had a rough patch with, uh, he still has to do the right thing. So a Beast and Maverick warns Silver Samurai about Sabretooth and wait for him in Japan to come. And come he does, slicing and dicing his way through Ninja. When Silver Samurai tells Sabretooth their family telepath has been a vegetable since Hiroshima, the X-Men say, we have three telepaths! Why? Why are they just offering this up so so again, Bashir not being straight, playing on the sides. There is a saber tooth in Klaydushina, but he hasn't had any telepathic powers in years, or at least not actively. Um, he's been catatonic kind of since Hiroshima, and he absorbed all the psychic screams after the nuclear bomb went out there and just massacred all those Japanese citizens. Um, and it's too much, more than he could take. So uh, anyway, the X were like, "What? Hey." This this uh, telepath is a vegetable. We we got three running around the mansion. We got Charles Xavier. We got Jean Grey. We got Psylocke. Yeah, lots of lots of mental powers at home. <laughs> so Sabertooth. Um, oh gosh, Sabertooth hits. What the heck did I write here? Samerti's bloodlust is so strong in a way... Oh, yes, sorry. Good grief, guys. I apologize. Um, so Samerti's bloodlust is so strong, though, that this uh, catatonic telepath picks up on it. Like it permeates him and it awakens him and it makes him subconsciously mind everyone. So they see some of Creed's memories, including the old mission. Um, he had killed the Japanese politician per his mission, and he killed the wife as a bonus. But they also had a kid with a pet bunny. And, though no, we don't see it on screen, thank goodness, because I don't like seeing harm to children done. Uh, Off-panel, though, we are led to believe and assume that Sabretooth does also kill the kid, and just because he's that gross. Um, so he kills the, the politician that he was assigned to kill. He takes out the wife for fun, and then he takes out the kid as well. But turns out, killing the kid actually haunts him. For a, a, a man and a villain, an assassin with no real conscience, and is, has lots of blood on his claws, this one has stuck with him. So, Silver Samurai, Beast, and Maverick awake to find Sabretooth gone. He's off to see the Professor, the wonderful Professor of X. He attacks Xavier, who hits him with a mind blast. Then the X Men show up. Bishop gets a headshot in. Um, he just shoots him. Uh, and Xavier takes advantage of Crean being unconscious and takes a trip inside his mind. Xavier travels back through Crean's memories to his time on Team X with Logan and Maverick. And then back to the boy, which is Creed chained in the basement. A memory of his dad throwing down a rabbit, saying animals have to kill to eat, which kind of ties you back to maybe it was actually a trigger to why he killed the kid. Maybe it was the the bunny rabbit, like, triggered something subconsciously. And so he killed the kid in a bloodlust and then regretted it. Um... You have to kind of read between the lines a little bit to headcanon that, but it is definitely an option. Um, but yeah, um, so Creed, um, yeah, the dad tells him he has some kind of mixed messages on who the, the father was and what he was doing, because he seems to like beat and torture Creed because of his mutation, but then he's also like, well, you gotta eat, you gotta kill to eat, and gives him a rabbit and makes him kill it. So, maybe that's also, I mean, obviously, obviously, that's also abusive. But it's hard, I don't know. You can spin it as two different kinds of abuse. You could say that one is like abusing out of hatred, and one's just abusive because he's just a terrible person, which I know that's very subtly different. But you can also roll it together, right? That he's almost like taunting uh, his son with the rabbit because he's already hated him for being a mutant and says, You want to be this animal? Fine, you got to kill your food. Um, So anyway, um, Xavier tells the boy he'll help, but only if he wants to get better. Uh, Creed is a boy is afraid of his own bloodlust violence, but he's also addicted to it. Uh, Bernie tried to make Creed forget the pain, but Xavier is going to make him confront it. A different strategy. The glow that Bernie gave him kind of just washed all of the guilt and pain away and made him feel good, right? Kind of just buried it or ignored it. Whereas Xavier says if you really want to get better and not be dependent on drugs and telepaths for the rest of your life to be somewhat functioning and normal, then you have to actually confront your pain in your past, and I will help you do that. And so Xavier wakes up and tells the X-Men that Sabretooth will be staying at the mansion. Creed will be a prisoner and will get help, but will also pay for his crimes at the end. Uh, Sabretooth bristles at this, but um, Xavier holds firm to be continued. So that was a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, a very dense plot. I thought it was really good. Um, you know, we find out more about Sabretooth's past, and it's also is revealed to characters. You know, we have seen it as a reader sub, but now some other people are getting insight into what kind of formed Sabretooth and just made him such a terrible nasty person and it's interesting there's a nice balance that Fabian does here in that because sometimes the temptation, especially because what we're what we're eventually doing here, is taking Creed from a straight villain to more of kind of the nineties rough antihero with with villain tendencies, but not a straight up villain. And the tendency would be as part of this transition is to show that it's not really his fault. Right, all the bad things he's done is all, all stuff that was done to him. He's a victim, and you no, know, so that helps us build sympathy for the character. And there's some of that here, but Fabian, I feel like, and I'd be interested if anyone else agrees or disagrees, but what, what I feel like Fabian does in this issue is really takes it where you have some sympathy because you're like, man, that sucks, and that happened to him. And you have some motivation for how he acts, but he also, you know, says that San Francisco has refused to address it. He doesn't deal with his guilt or his regret. Um, and he took it to the most extreme way he could and just, you know, being such a terrible murdering psychopath. And so in that regard, it's almost like it becomes a very he becomes a very gray character. When you have some kind of sympathy for him, but then you also are like, No, it doesn't excuse. What his behavior or his lifestyle, um, and so yeah, it's just I feel like it's it's nicely complex. Look at the character, um, which makes him really interesting. So, good job on Fabian. I will say the art here by I McCone mean, is not bad, um, he'll get better. Um, you know, some of it really works, some of it doesn't. And you know, remembering the um, that there's three different anchors on this. That's probably part of it, right? Um, I don't know what, who inked what. It's not like, it necessarily, there's consecutive pages. It really is panel-to-panel. To panel. Like, tooth looks pretty good. He draws a really, like, stocky tooth with, like, a big, wide, thick face. Um, also, I forgot how much I like Sambertooth, Saber, prefer preferred tooth with short hair. I know that's been irreversibly changed since the movies, but, um, I really love this costume. The orange and brown tiger stripes with the fur on the shoulders and back and then kind of the, the topless cowl with the tuft of hair sticking out. Um, so I like, really like McCone's saber too. Some of his other figures and faces are not very good like Gambit and Rogue in the car don't look great. Um, and people are just kind of standing around and talking not McCone's Forte yet um, I feel like you know he definitely grows as an artist for sure I don't I don't I don't know if this is his earliest stuff or not it's the first time we've talked about him on the podcast and the first time I've noticed him I haven't noticed any regular work of his in Marvel at this point I don't remember if he started at Marvel or DC either And know he does go back to DC and does some stuff like uh, some Teen Titans um, in the early 2000s um, pretty good run by the way on that at least I remember it I haven't read it since then I always hate to say that now, because some things don't hold up very well, but I remember it being very good. Um, anyway, yeah, so some of the art works, some of it doesn't, but it's really well written, I thought. So I'm going to give X-Men Unlimited number 3, 5 out of 6 claws. So next up, we're going to go to some Gambit Gumbo. No, that will not be the theme song for that. Grant, don't get excited. Um, By the way, I mentioned Grant a couple times on this show. Um, If you want to go listen to him talk about Superman in a very awesome way, I I almost made a bad pun, Grant. I almost said a super way, and I stopped myself and then exposed myself. Oh, no, I can't say I exposed myself. That's not good. Um, (laughs) Whoopsie. Anyway, uh, go listen to uh, Truth, Hope, and Justice, or is it... Oh, I always forget. Is it truth, hope, and justice? Or truth, justice, and hope? Hold on. I'm going to figure this out real fast so I say the right thing. Because I love his show and I don't want to say it wrong. So it's going to be truth, justice, and hope. I, I I know his truth starts first. And that's probably the most important one. But then it ends with hope. Actually... Grant, I don't know if you put those in that order on purpose. I feel like you may have talked about that before and I'm trying to remember. But um, I really like that you do that. You start with the truth. Justice is part of your ongoing life and you end with hope. That's really cool. Anyway, the Truth, Justice, and Hope podcast is a Superman podcast that Grant does and you should go listen to it. It should be pretty easy to find. Um, I look forward to having Grant back on the show soon. Uh, I have a couple couple of opportunities lined up uh, that we're working out and hopefully by the time this is out I've already figured all that out. he's <laughs> heard for me. Hopefully I'm not putting this out so early that, that he's hearing this for the first time. <laughs> not likely, as crazy as my life has been the last few weeks, but um anyway. Um so Uncanny X-Men three oh eight does not have Wolverine or Sabretooth, but it does have Gambit in it. And this is mixed blessing and turning point in the lives of the X-Men. And it is written by Scott Lobdell, penciled by John Romina Jr., inks by Dan Green, with help by Alvey. Oh, Al hey. uh, Letters by Chris Eliopoulos, colors by Steve Buccioletto, and then Harrison DeFalco, one of the editors. The cover is a pretty good cover. It's, um, just saying... Nondescript, red and black background. Almost kind of looks like lava. Um, and then, you have know, Cyclops running towards the reader in the bottom left corner. And above him is Jean Grey flying. And then behind both of them, or next to both of them, are blue, like, sepia, black and white toned ghost images of Cyclops and Jean when they first joined the X-Men. It's a pretty cool cover, actually. I haven't been super high on John or Mina. this X-Run. But this cover is nice. So, anyway, this story is all about Thanksgiving and Xavier's. The team reflects on gratitude despite recent losses like Iliata's death, Colossus leaving for the Acolytes, and Logan's departure after his injuries, which, of course, was losing the adamantium and fatal attractions. But also, Gene and Scott um, announce they're getting married. That's really plot-wise all we have here. (laughs) Um, But there are definitely some highlights. So, um, Jubilee is gets a bouncing piggyback with Beast, uh, which is a nice Logan and her teammates missing her smile and her bubbly personality. Like, she's definitely been somber since Logan left and they're all glad to see her playing with Beast and, you know, she's laughing as he bounces around with Jubilee on his back. So, it's, it's a really sweet scene. And, it's nice that the X Men, you know, are have noticed Jubilee struggling with Logan's departure and they are trying to help and distract her and all that good stuff. Um, Bishop being over serious through the whole issue is is super funny. Um, you know they have uh, they make a, a big scarecrow out of the leaves of the ranking and they put a Doctor Doom mask on it, which is funny. But Bishop's like. Uh, I don't think this is going to actually scare anything. Like maybe crows, but like it's not going to scare off our enemies. It's not going to keep anyone from attacking the mansion. And he's just really, really, really serious about it. In that, in the future, everything's grim and dark and super, uber serious all the time. So that's how I am. Um, which is is still fresh enough that it's, it's still kind of funny and and charming. Um. He also gets offered a football and he says he sees neither foot nor ball now that classic that classic routine (laughs) um we also get a phalanx tease and then um we have a nice page of gambit and stormy bantering though gambit looks ridiculous in this issue he looks like axel rose fell down the stairs um and, and more closer to modern-day Men. <laughs> no, he does not quite that uh, used up. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoy, you know, Gambit's first appearance was with the kid kind of saving and, and shepherding the kid Storm before she got aged back up. And, you know, we've seen that they've had, you know, there was some trepidation when Gambit came back, like we'll, when Storm rejoining the X-Men and him kind of tagging along, you know, Make them not as close. Obviously he's gotten closer to Rogues, so that's okay. But yeah, I I miss their relationship and love seeing a page here while they're playing football where they get to kind of banter vantor back and forth. Um, Archangel gets an interception, he flies he wasn't even playing, he flies out of nowhere and grabs the ball. <laughs> and Dion Sanders, um and so there's also a point where he gives the ball back and someone fumbles and they're all trying to tackle each other. It's kind of a comedic, almost looney tune scene where they're all like jumping at the ball and it slips out of their hands and bounces and they run and get it again and it slips out of their hands and bounces and, and it bounces into Xavier's lap who is watching, but no one can stop and they all accidentally dogpile on Xavier in his wheelchair. It's, it's a pretty fun scene. Um... Uh, Jubilee, assuming that the announcement is Gene finally getting over, right? So we're at the Thanksgiving table, and uh, Gene's like, I have an announcement, and Jubilee's like, what, you're finally getting a real nickname? (laughs) That was really funny. All right, so back to the close a little bit, Super 90s. Um, And Gambit is the most 90s of the 90s uh, in this, this book. So when they're playing football, He's wearing high top sneakers with tube socks, not pulled all the way up, just kind of right above the sneaker, which is pretty popular at the time. That was before '90s wasn't really about the notion of socks like we are now, which I actually kind of prefer. But um, it was about you know wearing shoes and, and having having some shock, shock some sock shock. Um, anyway, he's also wearing a yellow pair of biker shorts, which. That's one of the. With a real baggy, I can't tell if it's a baggy, like jersey, yellow and blue, like blue with yellow sleeves, or if it's a jacket, or just a big, really baggy sweatshirt. But he's wearing that over the biker shorts, which. And he also has a backwards baseball cap on. So total Axl Rose going on here. Um, then he also has red gloves. So. Then later at the table. He's wearing a decent suit, kind of 90s, a little bit sharp and angled, but he's got a black shirt with a red tie, and then he's wearing a bluish-gray do-rag for no real reason. But we're going to see John Armino Jr. really likes getting Gambit when he's in his civvies, loves putting a do-rag on him, because it's the 90s, that's all I can think of. So, um... The art actually is hit and miss in this issue. There's some good panels and some absolutely terrible panels. Um, you, know, you can flip through it and see some, you know, I don't know, it's hard to even say what's what, but like the one where Jean and Scott are about to kiss Jean's face looks terrible. Not only like, oh, she has to be beautiful all the time. It's not that. It just doesn't look like a real person. Um, and then there's some scenes where the art is kind of not bad. Kind of good. Uh, Beast looks pretty decent most of the issue. Um, yeah, so the art not hit and miss. Um, the story is a pretty good classic downtime issue. Um, you know, I enjoy kind of the character beats and the interactions and the personalities. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, don't get a whole lot as far as like any distinct development from Gambit. Other than him just looking awesomely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, just having fun with, at the football game and, and helping build the Scarecrow. Like, we see a, a lighter, fun side of game, which he's always pretty light and fun anyway. But it's just, you know, nice to see him interact with the team. Like I said, nice to see him having a good conversation with Storm. So I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men 308 three out of four aces. And I will tweet a little bit about 309. I'm not, not going to mention it here on this episode. But it's basically a... a, Basically, in in his nutshell, Xavier is wrestling with his own subconscious through the form of a Magneto ghost. And kind of wrestles with who he is and we get flashbacks to when he first met Amelia Voight, which, remember, we saw when she was introduced that she remembered Xavier and there's a a hint at a history there so we see some of that here um and i'll probably tweet about it but there's none of our uh titular characters are in this issue so we're going to move on to x-men number 28 um this is written by fabian Nicieza drawn by Andy Kubert, inked by Matt Ryan, lettered by Bill Oakley, colored by Joe Rosas, Harrison DeFalco, and the editors. And this is Devil in the House. And we have a cover by Kubert and Matthew Ryan, which is iconic. It's an all-white background. We have Sabretooth and Jean Grey almost doing a violent dance. Um, So we have Jean Grey kind of bending backwards. Like she could be doing a dip in a dance but she's kind of a kimbo to saber tooth who is looking down at her, swiping at her with his right hand and has his left elbow up, like, ready to come down and try to stab her. And then he's yelling. This is ferocious yell. It's an awesome cover. I love this cover a lot. Um, You kind of get the sense they're fighting him in air, which is maybe kind of weird, but nonetheless, it's just, it's a great cover. Love it, love it, love it. All right. So in this one... Jubilee has a terrible nightmare about Sabretooth killing Wolverine and all the rest of the X-Men. Jean senses her turmoil and comes to comfort her. She calls an emergency meeting at Harry's hideaway with Cyclops, Storm, and Beast. Jean and Beast disagree with the decision to try and rehab Sabretooth. Storm and Cyclops argue it's not too much different from Wolverine and Rogue. They were both bad guys when they came to join the X-Men, or... Rogue was. Wolverine was just really rough around the edges and fought with Cyclops. So, and tried to kill Nightcrawler. If <laughs> you remember that issue. Um, and then uh, Jean adds that she doesn't trust Xavier anymore. It feels like he's cracking under the pressure of everything going on. Um, so unless you read Uncanny X-Men 309 by Love Dell, where Jean says she supports Xavier no matter what... <laughs> So, Lundell and Nessie are not on exactly the same page here. Because here in Jean, is completely like, I don't trust him at all. Um, we need to step in and kind of make decisions that are best for the X-Men regardless of what he thinks. But then in the same month issue, 309, I believe, no am sorry, it actually comes out after this. So maybe she changes her mind. But she softens up considerably. as I. I support you blindly, Xavier. No matter what you do, I trust you. So she doesn't trust, and then she trusts. Not a, not a great turn for Jean, but um, which is too bad because this issue is like one of my favorite Jean stories. Um, but anyway, so inconsistency there. But um, so Ravage's legacy virus is getting worse, and she plans to leave the X Men to prepare, to make peace with herself, so she can die, you know, in a good place. Uh, Moira and Banshee call Xavier to the danger room to watch video of Psylocke trying to get Sabretooth to psychic medicine. She's trying to make him glow. Uh, Sabretooth is able to sneak up on her, rough her up a little, kissed, kiss her against her will, and request Jean Grey. Moira suggests they feed him raw meat for his meals, as the, uh, the spoils of a kill typically slow the metabolism of Predators. So, she's just thinking biology and science, not, not abusive like Sabretooth's dad, where he was like, here, eat raw meat, he's an animal. She's like, well, if he is an animal, you know, animals calm down after they eat their meal. They do the hunt, they eat the meat, and they take a nap, <laughs> much like a humans. <laughs> eat a big meal, take a nap. So, she's thinking if we give him raw meat, maybe he'll, he'll chill out um, when he's done. That is an interesting theory. <laughs> anyway, Rogue and Gambit go to feed him. He's super belligerent. Gambit antagonizes him. Rogue begs them both to calm down. And then Sabretooth still badmouths Gambit's character and then also gets a little more specific and mentions a Paris incident. Rogue asks what he means, but he only gives teases. He also teases Rogue about her quote-unquote brother, meaning Graydon and cream, as Mystique and Sabretooth have a kid together, and then we met in the miniseries, and Rogue was kind of adopted by Mystique, so he kind of gives it a hard time, like, you should ask your mom, um, which is, you know, funny and kind of nasty also. Um, Jean in a face-palmingly embarrassed, Scott confront Xavier, but he stands by his decision. Scott asks Jean if this is really about Logan and Jean's unresolved feelings for him. He's like, you've really been out of shape over this. Are you sure there's not something else going on? She doesn't really answer, but goes to treat, quote-unquote, Sabretooth. Sabretooth uh, taunts Jean that he is just the other side of the coin of Logan, so are you hot for me, too? Uh, (laughs) And then uh, Jean disengages the energy barrier and tells him off verbally and telekinetically. He begs for the glow, the psychic calming, but Jean refuses. No more cheating. He faces life and his past for real, or will just rot in this cell as a prisoner. And then Jubilee later gives him breakfast the next day to face her fears, Um, and Samtree says, You know what? That Jean? She's legit. I like her. I see what Logan sees in her. Oh, because she stood up to him and kind of knocked him around a little bit. So that that was good for her, right? <laughs> um so yeah, a, a fun scene, a fun issue. Um there is a there's a fun shot, or maybe not so fun for Janice. Uh, so Gambit has on a green and red LSU shirt, which he's from New Orleans. LSU is not New Orleans, it's in Baton Rouge, but it is in Louisiana and probably the most prominent Louisiana University, so... Well, I don't know if I necessarily see Gambit as an LSU guy. I don't really see him as an SEC guy. But, um... You know, it's cool that they're, they're at least trying to make a nod of his heritage, right? So, giving him an LSU shirt is not that far of a stretch. But it's weird that it's green or red, because whether you know or not, having married an alumni, I'm definitely... Even if I wasn't, you know, a, a sports fan, I would know from her... From my lovely wife that LSU's colors are purple and gold and there's not really a situation where you can find and I googled, I can't find a red and green LSU uh, merchandise <laughs> not even for Christmas um, so yeah, so I appreciate the rod, the nod but that even before internet that's pretty easy research for the colors to go, huh, what colors are LSU? yeah, so even in 1993 no excuse to get that wrong but uh, you know, if I were to pick one Gambit, I don't. First of all, I don't think Gambit went to college. <laughs> I don't mean that in like a demeaning, derogatory way. I just he was raised as a thief. Sorry, a thief, and um, he's done that his whole life. I doubt he went to university. Um, but if he did, I think he'd be more of a raging Cajun kind of guy. I don't know, necessarily than LSU. But anyway, that's an unnecessary tangent. Uh, this story is great. I said it's one of my favorite Jean stories. It's stories like this that make me think, yeah, that's why people like her. Um, <laughs> and the art is fantastic. I don't really have like a whole lot to say other than just I really like this issue. Um, Sam Tooth looks great. The opening scene in Jubilee running through the forest in the fall, even though it's just a dream, is awesome. Sam Tooth in the Dream looks awesome. Everybody looks good. Uh, nice play with Shadow, especially when Sam Tooth attacks Psylocke and jumps out of the shadow. Um, you know, him again teasing Gambit and this time mentioning Paris, which we will actually revisit that little plot point not too far from now so Gambit, I mean you can tell it's starting to get under Rogue's skin a little bit right, this is two separate times that Sam Truth is taught to Gambit about his past and about them having, and nothing else, right, even if Rogue's like, oh I know he had a rough past and you know, but he's an X-Men now, he's making up for it but almost truth almost makes it sound, sound like, and well, we know what we'll find out later, but very much reveals and teases that they did stuff, to, like they worked together in the past. And that's a whole different thing to try to accept, right? It's one thing to say, well, yes, I know you were a thief. You were in the Tease Guild in New Orleans, and you stole stuff, you have a rough, sketchy past, but, you know, you're trying to come clean and make up for it. It's a whole other thing, and it will be very much a whole other thing for Gambit to be have been in cahoots with Sabretooth in the past. So you can tell it's starting to get under rogue skin and will be something they will have to work through in the relationship as well as Gambit's relation to the whole rest of the team. So those seeds are getting planted. We've seen them back to back here. And that's pretty fun. Um Yeah, I'm gonna give X-Men twenty-eight six out of six claws. It was it was a really good issue. So that's gonna take us to twenty-nine. Um, this one is Return to Hellfire, um, written by Fabian. Actually, exactly the same creative team. Our cover by Kubert and Ryan has Archangel and Psylocke in a room with uh Shinobi Shaw in the background in Hellfire regalia, and it's, it's an okay cover, it's not bad. Um Right, so basically, Psylocke spars with a restrained Sabretooth in the danger room. He has a metal muzzle and metal gloves over his claws. Psylocke's telepathic soothing doesn't impress Sabretooth, their physical prowess does. Remember, he's like, I don't want her and Jean's better. But now that he's fighting with Psylocke, or sparring, he's like, you know what, you're pretty hot too. (laughs) She uh, cuts his muzzle off, and they kind of flirt with each other? Question mark. Um in the control room, uh, this makes Warren jealous, but really he's just lonely and bummed about Scott and Jean getting married while his relationship with Charlotte Jones has gone nowhere. Uh Jubilee makes a mail call. So there's a pretty interesting page here. I want to kind of talk about this a little bit. Um the so Jubilee brings the mail in and she's like mail uh, call hey look it's quick today birdie. Uh just for tea and ice cream cones and the Vaughn and trump or something they're called scones jubilee and I thought the professor talked to you about rollerblading inside the house well Drake drink a human ice cube if drake the human ice cube can keep dripping and mccoy can keep shedding I can keep skating I got something here for you now, let's see, bills, bills, junk mail, junk mail. Hair club for men, that's for the prof. National Geographic, naked pygmies, that's for Drake. Ah, here we go. And smells kind of funny. <laughs> in a Liberace kind of way. Nothing from Wolverine, though. So I don't know if the Knucklehead is going to make it to the wedding. Like I care. If he does, I'm sure. Hey, Drake, time to be master of your domain. So Jubilee is covering up her pain with... Being silly and just being jubilee, it's not even like a departure from her personality. So there's nothing necessarily different, but she's definitely edging it up to um, to kind of make up for just how hurt she is. And not only that Wolverine is gone, but she thought, well, okay, he's got to go figure this out. I understand that. But surely he'll come back for Jean's wedding, right? And I can at least see him and talk to him for a minute? Um, so I don't know. She's really sweet. Really sweet jubilee there. Uh, then we also have just a super busty side lock coming out of a training session with a jacket on, unzipped and pulled apart so you can see her boobs, or her cleavage at least. Um, yeah, she's, she's gone from seducing Scott to like, well, who else can I seduce now? <laughs> um, since so that didn't work. Uh, anyway, um. So after the mail call, she gives Warren, Jimboly gives Warren an invitation to the Hellfire Gala. Hey, we just had one of those. Um, He has a hereditary membership from his dad. Uh, Warren finds out that Psylox cleavage is also a member of the Hellfire Club. So they decide to go to scout the Hellfire Club for the X-Men, of course. Just seeing if they're a threat or not. Uh, They arrive in high fashion. Um, They definitely got their Gala gear on um, Psylocke looks looks stunning. Uh, the green and red dress, uh, a long jacket, uh, Angel, you know. I don't know if he does an image inducer or paints his face white, but uh, he's dressed to the nines as well. Um, you also see Night Thrasher in there, Dwayne, as Dwayne Turner, as a member of the Hellfire Club, because of his dad. Um, and then. They are ambushed by Tessa, who changes their clothes into old aristocracy and leaves them in the basement with Shinobi Shaw. It's always weird when people get knocked out and someone had to, like, undress them and redress them while they're unconscious. It's, just a, it's a weird thing that you see a lot in comics. <laughs> it's just strange. Um, yeah. Uh, so Shaw reminisces about hanging out with Warren as kids and offers him a place as White King in his new inner circle. They argue and fight and eventually leave Shinobi alone and dejected. Um, I didn't want to come back to... Uh, so Cylock's gala dress uh, is just an example that what we had recently with the awesome Hellfire Gala story and all kind of the fashion drawings that we got and the high fashion and the costumes... It's not a new thing. So, all the old X Men fans who were bitching about, oh, comics have changed and the X Men are lame now, we don't need to have a big event based around a party. Sure, it's only one issue, but that's exactly what this is. Back in the pr- hot, heyday prime of 90s X Men. So, suck it. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, you know, we just have the little bit of Sabretooth there. The Cyclops like flirting with him is or Fletcher mark flirting with him is, is interesting and kind of weird. But, um, yeah. You know, we see, we see him kind of how he's going to be trained at the mansion when when, when he's out of his pen. He's fully restrained. I like the Cylon takes a chance by cutting his muzzle off, and that definitely impresses tooth. So, you know, he's kind of He's been kind of horny <laughs> with this day at the mansion but yeah uh, the art here is great it's a pretty decent story i was pretty good actually um but i gave x-men 29 five out of six claws so that's going to take us last but definitely not least to uncanny x-men annual 18. so trust is a two-edged sword the main story is written by glenn Herdling, penciled by ian churchill a little bit before he comes to cable, which is worth inter- uh, worth mentioning. Uh, Inkers are Hillary Barta and Bud La Rosa. Letters by Richard Starkings, Dana Walshad, and Mike Thomas do the colors. And this is a backup story. Nothing will ever be the same. Written by Jeff Loeb, art by Tim Sale. Uh, so an early combination of those two. Uh, letters by Joe Rosen and colors by Greg Wright. And there'll be some pinups. that we'll also get to. Uh, the cover is by Churchill, and I don't really like it. I never really have. Um, Churchill's one of those guys that I feel like he's somewhat polarizing on his art style. Uh, is very stylized. Um, sometimes over-sexualized, especially maybe on the younger side, which is not good. But whatever you, It can also be pretty dynamic. But whatever you feel about his art, whatever you think about Ian Churchill, I think we can all agree is better when it's really clean and kind of bright. And here in the beginning, I think even by the time he gets a cable, he's already cleaned up his line work a little bit and and left room for different colors. Here we have a little bit, uh, not sloppier, but just a little less defined, a little sketchier artwork, and I don't like his style of that as much. But on the cover we have Caliban, uh, Choking Jubilee, and then a muzzled saber-tooth and Kitty Pride, and they're all walking to the sewer. Just taking a walk in the sewer. All right. So in this issue, Caliban terrorizes kids at a campfire to steal their treats so he can feed them to his hostage Jubilee. So somewhere, he took Jubilee hostage. Um, He is pissed that the X-Men have taken in Sabretooth, who murdered many of his friends in Mutant Massacre. So he kidnapped Jubilee as leverage to trade for Sabretooth so he can punish Sabretooth himself. And they've had a few grudge matches in the sewer since then, remember. Um, So no love lost between Caliban and Sabretooth. Oh, also, asterisk to the deal, only Kitty can make the trade, because Kitty is the only X-Men that Caliban trusts. So she flies home. Obviously, she leaves the comes home to help with the Sabretooth and Jubilee situation. Uh, Charles and Jean ask Sabretooth for help, but he refuses unless Jean gives him the glow. Remember what that is. It's a psychic soothing. Um, they won't, so he won't, but he taught some, saying they need his tracking skills, because Wolverine is gone. So again, talking about Wolverine, even though he's not here. Um, Jubilee tricks Caliban into untying her, then blinds him with her fireworks. path path She runs away, but doesn't know the sewers as well as Caliban, so she doesn't get very far, and he catches her again. Kitty and her yellow Captain America gloves talk Jean into giving Sabretooth a little bit of what he wants. Um... So she just... Is, and also, you know, instead of using as bait, let's just actually give him to Caliban and get Jubilee back. But Xavier wants Cooney, though, to take advantage of Caliban's trust and trick him with creating his bait. Um, she's not real happy about this because she just did this with Colossus and Fatal Attractions. And she, she's actually pretty steamed, but she plays along anyway. A uh, team player, I guess, against her own better judgment or emotions. Um... As our two cats, Sabertooth and Shadow Cat, uh, move through the sewer, they get mad and fight. Kitty pulls out some um, nunchucks and talks about how she was trained by Sabretooth's better Wolverine. Uh Creed is tired of being compared to Logan, tired of hearing about him. So they spar until Kitty phases her hand in through his head and threatens to solidify her fist in his brain until Creed agrees to play fair, and stay on mission. But Caliban finds them and tries to drown them in the sewer by releasing a waterfowl, but Kenny phases them into another tunnel through the wall, where they find the legendary giant sewer squid! Okay, um, The squid wraps up Kenny, so Sabertooth runs off, leaving Caliban to save his friend Kenny. Uh, Sabertooth runs into Jubilee and has a change of heart. Uh, He's really mad, he's free, he's going to run away... when Jubilee's in trouble... and maybe going back to that guilt over the kid he murdered... he decides to save Jubilee. Um, So he turns around and even with his restraints... is able to butcher the squid and save Kitty and Caliban. Um, Sabertooth swipes at Kitty... knowing that she will phase to avoid his claws... This disrupts his metal gloves. I guess there's an electronic component, so they fall off. With his hands now free, he brutally attacks Caliban until a free Jubilee blasts him and Kitty reshackles him. So she blinds him with fireworks. Um, I'm not sure if that really works with all his other heightened senses, like if he lost his vision, unless they're also concussive and loud, which I don't remember. If, I mean, we have the path sound effect so maybe it is like loud like fireworks i don't know and so he's just overall just and blinded and deaf and you can smell that someone's there you can't smell that they're what their movements are um contrary to some comic books um anyway cow runs off embarrassed and we see saber tooth's claws gave him the look of a mutant hound so she has scars that look like rachel is a hound and of course he's been referred to as a hound for apocalypse, so yeah, definitely something going on there. Uh, I think it's going to lead into Cowman's future stories, but the facial similarity to Rachel is not an accident. So, Samson gave him those scars, and and that's that. Um, so overall, the story's pretty good. Um. It's not as sharply written as maybe if Fabian had done this. I don't really know who Glenn Hurdling is, but it's not bad. And the art is really good in places, but it's also... Like I said, I will like Churchill more later. Um, The sketchy, different colors. There's an awesome panel of Jubilee shooting Caliban, which he gets free looks really nice, and there are some good panels, but overall, it's just pretty good. Um, you know, I do like, I like Jubilee's story, so I like her being involved here. I, Sambertooth is pretty interesting, you know, he kind of, he won't play along, and then he does, and then he, first chance, he, you know, even on mission, he's arguing and fighting with Kitty and being just a pain in the ass, and then, first chance he gets, he tries to run off, but then I like that he has a change of heart with Jubilee. I'm not sure if it entirely fits what his character is at this exact moment in time, but it will fit to kind of where he goes, where he does get some soft spots, and maybe because he was recently sued by Gene, that, you know, some of it's worn off, he definitely has some violence in him, but maybe not completely over the edge, maybe some psychic residue from the glow, but whatever reason, maybe he sent a link to Wolverine, right? He knows Jubilee was under his wing, and he, I don't know, for whatever reason, he has a change of heart. He, he saves Jubilee, brings her back, and then also saves Kitty and Caliban from the squid, which is super dumb. This giant sewer squid. First of all, squids are saltwater animals. <laughs> I know the sewer's dirty, but I don't think it's saltwater. I don't think. I don't think New York has saltwater in the sewers. Maybe it comes in from the bay. Maybe I'm absolutely wrong there. Maybe this is ocean, like dirty ocean water, and the giant squid got trapped. I don't know. I thought it was kind of silly, but anyway, it's a nice progression for Sabretooth. I'm going to give Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 18 a uh, four out of six claws. Not quite as good as some of the other issues we talked about, but still pretty fun. Um, and that's going to do it. So I had a little bit of Gambit and Gumbo and a whole lot of Sabretooth um, as he kind of, you know, Sabretooth was introduced as a as a mutant, but as an Iron Fist villain, and then just kind of been a mercenary. And or assassin around the Marvel Universe, he's definitely had his Wolverine stories, but these these issues we talked about on this episode plant him firmly in the X corner of the Marvel Universe, where he is where he's kind of been a tangential X Men character and more of a Wolverine character. Now he is straight up an X Men villain slash anti hero, and will even you know eventually find himself among the ranks of some of the teams. Um, so this is an important transition for Um I think we'll see a lot less appearances in other parts of the Marvel Universe over the next couple of years. Um, when he's been kind of scattershot, he's, he's gonna be an X-Men character for a while. Um, so, that's fun. I mean, it's cool to bring, I mean, with all the, the relationship to Wolverine, and that not being all ironed out and concluded yet in, this, in 1993, I think it really makes sense to kind of move him officially. I mean, most of his issues have been Wolverine fights, so he's been pretty unofficially an X-Men-related character anyway. But, I don't know. It just feels like, a, hey, we're moving him over here. This is where his stories are going to take place. It also kind of gives you a, a, a straight-through line from what Larry Hammond was doing in the solo series, kind of ignoring some of those other guest appearances and saying, this is, this is where Sam Truth belongs, this is where he is. You can see the progression, right? Uh, we saw the stories of Wolverine. We saw him get turned into the plant pod thing. He comes out and goes home to his miniseries, uh, tries to get some jobs, but he's losing his mind, um, loses his telepath, and the natural course is to look for a new one can't find one, so he comes to, to the X-Mansion. He's going to force Xavier to help him. Xavier helps him anyway, but he's kind of stuck there. Um, yeah, it's just um, really some interesting stuff going on. So, I'm happy to see Sabertooth kind of moving around and having like a solid storyline. It's been nice. It's a little more interesting to me than just kind of, he shows up here, he shows up there, he fights Wolverine, then he goes over to Spider-Man or whatever. Like, And I I hope we still have other guest appearances. But it's just nice to see a really just solid... This is how Sabretooth is progressing. And what he's turning into. And where he's going. we're going to see one nice path of of who he has been, is right now, and will be. Uh, So that's fun. So I enjoyed this episode. Hope you did as well. We're going to cap it right here. Just right around the hour mark. Um, As always... In the podcast that goes SNCC. You can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at SNCCAST. Show notes are at SNCCAST.podbean.com. And please, guys, stay safe, stay well out there. Um, and yeah, until next time, I don't even know what that'll be because I don't even know where I'm going to put this. I'm kind of doing this as a whenever I need to fill a spot. <laughs> so I don't know what'll be next things. I don't know when this is actually coming out at the time of recording. But Anyway, until that time, Hungs and Snicks. Bye bye. And snacked.